Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing the gender gap for startup funding, the federal government's new right to disconnect bill, and a wrap of some of the biggest moments at the Grammys and why it was all a massive win for women. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 8th of February. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm joining you from Gadigal Land and I'm joined by my co-founder on Agenda Media, Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala. Hey, Ange. How are you? I am very well, thank you. How are you going? I am good. I'm really good, actually. I feel feel great today. We're nearing the end of the week, you know. Haven't had many train wrecks this week. Haven't royally screwed up anything haven't faced any defamation suits you know like everything's good (laughs) that's good that's good you know what I did today for a bit of a train wreck what uh I went to the gym this morning and then I um you know I usually pack my bag and I get changed at the gym so I did my little thing went and had a shower went back to my bag I did not pack any clothes to wear oh nice so you know what I had (laughs) <laughs> what, so what did I need to do then? I had to put on my dirty gym clothes. Oh, that's and so back home and start again. Yes. So oh, things no. are going well. It's coming up, Ange, today. Anyway, let's get into wins. What is your win this week? My win this week, um, there have been a couple of good movements from the government, I would say. And my win is a proposed new bill introduced by the Albanese government to ensure the sexual reputation of rape complainants are inadmissible as evidence in federal courts, which is great progress to see. So the bill was created based on several outstanding recommendations from the 2017 final report of the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. It also supports the government's national strategy to prevent and respond to child sexual abuse. Mark Dreyfus, who's the Attorney General, obviously said the bill had the potential to improve the experience of victims and survivors of sexual violence in our justice system. And he said sexual assault can have devastating, cumulative and long-lasting effects on the lives of victims and survivors, their families and communities. These reforms support victims and survivors engaged in the Commonwealth criminal justice system while maintaining due process protections and ensuring that defendants continue to be tried fairly and impartially. The reforms were developed in consultation with stakeholders, including victims and survivors and their advocates. I just think this is is really great progress to to see, Ange. Um, mm. what, are you, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, for, I mean, uh, yeah, definitely great. Pro- I mean, but the one thing was that it was a recommendation from a 2017 report. And I was like, how did this take this? How is it 2024? And the fact that, you you know, you've consented to sexual activity, as I know was quoted in the report, like the fact that, you know, that could still be brought up in court as if that's some kind of evidence. I I don't, yeah. So massive step forward, but um, disappointing that it comes from a 2017 recommendation that hadn't yet been implemented. Yeah, agreed. The lethargy that is in our our parliament is baffling, but at least it was a different government at that time. So it is good to see that the Albanese government is acting accordingly. What's your win? So my win, uh, and I don't mean to be on the uh, Albo government train um, because we've had plenty of criticism for them in the past, but my win relates to the Albanese government again and our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. So Tala, I'm sure you'd remember, we'd all remember how a few years ago, 
I think it was on International Women's Day or in the lead up to International Women's Day, former Prime Minister Scott Morrison shared this very memorable quote. It was something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing here, but we shouldn't be lifting women up at the expense of men. Mm. Didn't go down well. Very Um, wise, that man. Very wise. (laughs) Sage advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was sort of preluded a few more other things to come that he would say about uh women in terms of communism as well (laughs) oh yeah we're all equal just not all as equal as others I guess so um I'm sort of just picturing this this like squashness like someone's I I don't know I'm just picturing everything's getting squashed when I hear that sort of term that we shouldn't lift someone up at the expense of men and I just see like uh, anyway does that make any sense that analogy back to my win so basically ahead of this year's IWD Albanese He gave a very different speech yesterday in Canberra. He really called for men to step up to help end Australia's epidemic of violence against women. And he did use those terms that it is an epidemic of violence. And he said that it shouldn't be a problem that women have to solve. Mm. I thought this was really great, but that was that was just part of it. It was a really good speech. You know, it would have been nice to get more announcements for more funding and stuff like that. And he did highlight some of the things that the Albanese government have done in terms of their record so far on women and there's certainly some good achievements in that. This time he also made the comment, he talked about the impact of trauma on children and sort of the intergenerational cycle of violence and I thought that was an interesting shift for this conversation as well. He basically said that, you know, we've been sort of going off this idea that gender equality will solve violence against women and will, you know, make it end but it will certainly help the further we, the closer mm-hmm. we get on gender equality. I think we can all say that. But if we look to the countries that do really well on gender equality, they haven't ended violence against mm-hmm. women and children. You know, it, it hasn't gone away. If anything, like we saw the protests in Iceland, the Women's March, a lot of it was based around the, you know, continuing rates of violence against women. So I just thought that was an interesting way to look at it. He's sort of thinking about how without trying to suggest that just because someone experiences this type of trauma that they're they're on this destiny to commit violence against women or anything like that, but just this idea that we can provide more support and help for people who do and look at some of the risk factors that come into this and try to address them earlier on. And I think that is an interesting way to look at this and, and possibly a different way to look at it and it'll be interesting to see what happens next with that. Um, I might say he he did talk about funding for services that proactively engage with children who have been exposed to violence and to to support them in the healing process there. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Jess Hill speaks quite frequently about how complex the issue of violence is and domestic and family violence in particular, and a lot of rhetoric around needing more funding, which is true, but we also need to look at so many different areas and I think just really be mindful and scrupulous about where that funding's going and where what resources we are covering. And obviously the money side of it is is a huge part of it, but it's just so multifaceted. Mm. And I, I think it's just going to take a lot of work and a lot of very thorough policy implementation. So on to our first story. Yes. So... The figures from the latest State of Australian Startup Funding Report were released earlier in the week. And while we were hoping 
for a better picture, being startups ourselves. In terms of funding for all female founded startups, the results were pretty grim. All female founded startups secured a tiny 4% of the $3.5 billion in startup funding in Australia in 2023, with all male teams taking the vast majority of the 413 investment deals done. 62% of funding deals went to all male founding teams compared to 12% for all female-founded teams, and 26% for teams involving at least one female founder. They're pretty dire numbers, Ange, and I think the piece you wrote on Women's Agenda delved into this in, in a bigger way, but it does point to a pretty sick startup sector. What are mm. your thoughts? Well, first of all, the startup sector, I mean, that $3.5 billion in startup funding in Australia in 2023, I mean, it was well down from the 7.6 or so the year before. So the whole startup sector, there was a lot less money going into it in 2023. And there were, I guess, when we look at it, first of all, that 4% figure was actually like a 100% increase on the previous year. <laughs> it was like 2%. So there's a, I guess there's a win. It could have been my win for the week. Like, wow, look at this. But <laughs> then if you say then 3.5 billion in startup funding generally, obviously, like it's not like that doubling of startup funding to all female founded startups resulted in much more money going into all female founded startups. So yeah, big issue. But I think the main thing is that, you know, the fact that 62%, so two thirds of funding deals are going to all male founders. I just, I just think that is really, really mm -hmm. strange. And it happens in other countries as well. It's not like we're alone in this, but like, what are we missing here? Why is that going on? Yeah. Is that like women don't have ideas? Like yeah. what is that? I don't think it's that. But clearly there's so much broken and wrong here. And then yeah. when you look at the investor side, and this report is good because it does do, it surveys founders and it also surveys investors. And their survey investors, they found that, you know, 70% are male. The vast majority tick that they're, I, I can't, sorry, I can't remember if the box was Anglo-Saxon or, or how they identify, but there's clearly, there's not much racial diversity or cultural diversity amongst these groups either. But then when you look at like, we hear, we've definitely seen this on Women's Agenda and anyone who's spent any time on LinkedIn, you'll see this all the time, is that people are really talking about this dire funding gap and these issues and mm -hmm. investors are out there talking about it all the time and, oh, we need to do better and, you know, we're trying to do this and we've like, we've done this accelerator program and we're doing this mentoring thing and et cetera, et cetera. But then it's not changing and yeah. <laughs> like nothing is changing. So clearly what they're doing isn't working. And then in the survey investors, you see they had other things like just half of those investors said they are sourcing deals from networks focused on underrepresented entrepreneurs just 50% said they have collaborated with industry to promote diversity inclusion. Less than a third have policies to ensure diverse representation in the management and boards within their portfolios. And, you know, 40% are still not recording and analysing diversity metrics at all. So, yeah, like they're just not, do there's a good chunk of them that are literally not doing the most basic things. Yeah, it's things like it's not this. at all consequential to, you know, the future prosperity of the world of Australia, like if we're if we're not kind of prioritizing that in the startups that we are investing in, then what does that say about the future and what it holds? Like it's it yeah. is pretty diabolical. But I think, yeah, like that point that you raised as well, when we're talking about all male founded teams, we're also, yeah, we're not talking about like diverse 
male founded teams either. Like there's a massive issue there. And if you look at like those that are coming out with major investments, like they're all quite a homogenous group. They, they Oh yeah. Like- those who are getting the big deals, like the 20 20- million plus or the 50 million plus like and it's funny because you always see the photos it's always like three guys four guys like sitting there the founders and yeah um because you've got that all female founder number but just 18 percent of the capital raised went to mixed gender teams so often when people talk about the fact that they're investing in female founders it could be one woman as part of a four person founding team so i don't know and then then there's all this going on there like what is going on is it like there there's obviously tala tala we just don't have any good ideas. It's, true. it's not. We don't have good ideas. We don't have. To, we don't know how to communicate those ideas. Oh, like obviously, we can't communicate. Like when we go and pitch to the investors, we don't know how to pitch properly to them. Like I know. we just don't. Like it's we sad, just really. Need, yeah, we need heaps of mentoring. And we need, we need some more education. We really need some, we need some help. We need some serious help. We need some serious well, fixing. We need, to get a, we need another degree, like first of all. Like obviously <laughs> we need more degrees. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to be doing but, more. In, but at the I same think, time we also need to still be having lots of children. Keep, keep with the children. Oh, keep, yes, of course. Keep procreating. Well, who's going <laughs> to buy the random stuff that we come up with in our business if we don't have like a next generation ready to take it on? Yeah. yeah. What we should do is stop like giving a shit about areas that actually will make an impact for the our future in Australia, you know, because that's when <laughs> founders are overrepresented in areas like social impact, yeah. A social impact or startups that address, you know, the, the care economy and all the good ideas that we need there. Women are also... They're not in equal numbers, but definitely more represented in areas like climate tech. So mm-hmm. obviously we need to get more into the fintech and a bit more into the crypto space. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Oh, good. The bro-tech. Bro-tech. <laughs> Let's just call it bro-tech. Blanket bro-tech. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so dire numbers. Obviously we need to do better. I think, you know, I really I do wish that we could look at this in terms of like that, like what we miss out on. And, I mean, I I know that obviously investors are there for their returns and they need to, you know, they're kind of having a bit of a bet. Are they getting those returns? Because that's the other issue that we see, right? Like so many of these businesses get this insane investment and funding like thrown at them and then they just dissipate within like a few years after hiring people, after, you know, like yeah, it's just – I don't think that we are actually getting the returns that we need. Like I, I think that we could be in a much better state and that's 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 part of the issue, right? Like we know how much talent is being missed at the moment. Like this points to a wider issue of what is the future going to look like if we're not investing in the right things, if we're not capitalising on the talent that we have and that is diverse talent. Like we're just... We're not hitting the mark in this country, like mm. by a long by a long stretch. Mm. More to be done. <laughs> I, I want to end on some kind of positive point about the. I don't know what to say about this. Like <laughs> more to be done should be the name of our podcast. Like, <laughs> more to be done. That is somebody else's issue. <laughs> Put it What's off. Pickle. And when you know said person is out of power and no longer has to worry about this stuff, you know that that's going to happen. You know, changes are coming. Anyway, we should move on. 
Today is Thursday and the Senate, I believe right now, is doing a final vote on Labor's right to disconnect bill pushed by Industrial Relations Minister Tony Burke. Yesterday, Albanese government secured deals with the Greens Party and the crossbench to pass the bill through the House of Reps and into the Senate. It looks like the bill will be legislated. So right to disconnect, what does it actually mean? We've got a story, a bit more of an explainer, published on Women's Agenda today with some really great expert opinion in there as well. But basically, I guess in a nutshell, and I hope I get this right, but the changes will ensure that employees are not required to monitor, read or respond to email, phone calls or any other kinds of communication from an employer outside their working hours, which seems like it could be a bit of a good thing with so much work from home and all the blending work that we're doing around family or friends or all this other stuff and how much work creeps into our lives. So Tala, what do you think? About oh, I mean, I think fundamentally this is a good thing and I am very guilty of the fact that emails and work-related matters creep into every other aspect of my life on, on the daily, on the hourly, I should say. So I think this is a positive move and I, I hope it will encourage employers to be, I guess, more respectful of their employees' time. But at, at the same time, I think there's a little bit of grey area because I have a tendency of of sending emails to whoever. Uh, I know we can, we can hear them coming through to us. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. But I have no expectation on anyone getting back to me until mm. it suits them. You know what I mean? So I think for me often it's about just getting something off my chest quickly and like, you know, making sure that I've done that that task at a time that suits me. And often the times that suit me to work are quite different to what would work for another person. And I think that's, that is how this hybrid work world has come to, to exist. I think that's, that's one of the benefits of it is that people are able to work in the ways that suit them. But I think that while I would endorse that still happening and people being able to kind of freely work around their own schedules and send correspondence at times that works you know, within their own parameters. I also would stress very, very emphatically that it is not up to employees to come back to you at that time. Like if you're sending an email at 5am, it is not up to anyone to come back to you until 9am. So, mm. and and so I think that's good, but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky one because I do think that like the world's evolving and the way that we uh, communicating at work is different, like based on the technology we have, but Principally, I think it's very good that governments are working to make sure that there are mechanisms to protect workers Mm. from overwork and stress. Yeah, I feel like this is a case of where it would depend on your manager and your boss about how much communication you get, Not, not necessarily how much communication you get outside of work hours, but the expectation and the pressure on you to respond and I feel like we're probably, you know, we, we've been running this business a while now, so we don't have that expectation on each other. But then at the same time, we may respond to each other because we're you know, often coming up with ideas and things like that. And often those responses will happen on the weekend or, you know, weird hours of the morning or whatever. <laughs> but like, we wouldn't put that on our team. Like we just, you know, like never, ever, almost like I'm almost sometimes embarrassed at the time that I'd be sending an email. Sometimes I actually turn my email off. So when I'm writing the emails, they won't actually send until like a more normal time because I don't want people to realize that the time I was up sending it. And it wasn't because, you know, I'm just this workaholic. It was more because I happened to be awake using mm. that hour and 
knowing that I could get that time back at during the day or something at some other point. So yeah, totally. I, like I go to bed at seven thirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so sometimes at four, it <laughs> makes perfect sense. To, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So I yeah, that's what I, I think that this is good because everyone's so much of our lives depend on. Also, much of our happiness and well-being can depend on our working, our work circumstances, obviously, and in many cases, who we work for and the manager that we have. And so, if there's a little few more mechanisms like this that can try to prevent against that added pressure, so that you can actually have a weekend, especially if you've got a bit of an asshole boss, at least, so then you can have a weekend free from them without this expectation to have to respond. Yeah. And I like I like when governments are responsive as goalposts move because I mm-hmm. think that's the absolute right thing to do. Like, you know, in terms of, of technology, in terms of the way that we work, like we need to be proactive and we need to be kind of ever moving to make sure that things are, are aligning with the status quo and like what actually is the state of the world. So I think it's a, a really great thing as well. To our final story of the day, the Recording Academy held the 66th Grammy Awards this week, which was very exciting. And it was particularly exciting because women really led the night and we saw some amazing moments such as Kylie Minogue (laughs) securing her second Grammy of her nearly four decade career, so 20 years after her last one. We saw Taylor Swift break the record for the most albums of the year and we saw Phoebe Bridges have some choice words for Recording Academy CEO Neil Portnow. She told former, him. Former Recording Academy CEO. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> Important sorry. note. That would, that would be much worse if he was still there, wouldn't it? But she told him, and I love this, very eloquently, to rot in piss. <laughs> and did you love what it? What a line. Rot, don't just rot. Rot, rot in, piss. in piss. And you I, would rot in piss. You would. <laughs> all that ammonia wouldn't actually be saving you <laughs> all right so um i i'm looking at like some notes here and i can see the grammy stories from women's agenda this week and we have written five stories so we obviously loved the grammys it was it was a really good show there were so many awesome moments like the performances were amazing like Joni mitchell like obviously tracy chapman doing that live performance that was mm. incredible and just so awesome to see and then that track finally went number one like three decades later and after you know the Luke Combs cover from a few months ago had gone to number one and the real sort of seemingly injustice about the fact that that had occurred Annie Lennox was singing and then Phoebe Bridges making those comments and I had to go back to remember that story about the Recording Academy former CEO because we'd written about it at the time it was back in 2018 and when like basically there was hardly any women represented in the 2018 Grammys his response to that was that women needed to step up about, <laughs> you know, women just needed to step up as if like that was the issue. And then he later like backtracked on it and said, this is like the startup story that we're discussing. He later said, well, it must be that, you know, men need to like mentor women. So he kept trying to change his words, but it resulted in open letters being written to him. Um, there was so much anger and and now here we are just, you know, six years later and there's been this complete turnaround and not just that, but we are seeing these artists who have just so much influence and power and are just creating so much you know, money for everyone around them 
and they happen to be women. So it turns out that actually we, we did want to hear from some more women and it wasn't because the women weren't trying hard enough to write good music and put on good performances. So we actually wanted to buy and get involved in their music. I'm sure he's really happy that Phoebe Bridges brought up his his choice words from 2018. I'm sure he's loving this, the the spotlight back on him. Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to raise some money to start a music academy for women or something. Like, you know, I would say so. Actually, yeah, that that would make sense. <laughs> I think he really cared about that. It was a passion project for him. So go and check out some of our Grammys. It was, you know, actually a good show compared to some of the other awards nights. That- can be pretty boring and not all that interesting, but this was very much quite different. So go and check it out. Um, and that's it from us. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can catch up on all the stories that we've discussed at womensagenda.com.au, where you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter and get them fresh in your inbox just around lunchtime. Thank you for listening. Listener.